And everyone else, I encourage you to open up your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, we are picking things up this morning in verse 15. While you're turning there, let me ask you a couple of questions. Church, did you know that God has promised you an inheritance? And did you know that right now God is preparing you to receive and to steward that inheritance? Now let's say, for example, my, I take my four boys into our TV slash playroom, and I tell them, boys, one day you are going to inherit all that I have. Now, for the sake of the illustration, let's just say that we stay in the house for the rest of our lives, and so that the the entire house is actually going to be the boys someday, but uh, they're young, and I don't want to overwhelm them with all the responsibility of having an entire house. They're not ready to get their minds around inheriting the whole thing quite yet. I'm just going to start them off in one room. And so let's say I take them into the TV playroom, and I tell them, one day, boys, this is all going to be yours. I mean, from the, the play basketball hoop on the wall, to, to the TV over there, to the computer, to the board games on the shelves, to whatever is going on in that back closet that we have, like, as far as your eyes can see, it's all going to be yours, Pretty good inheritance. Pretty good inheritance. Yeah. Probably would change how they live in the room as ones who are one day going to inherit that inheritance. But, and, and, but what they probably can't get their minds fully around is that this promised inheritance, it could actually even go to one of their offspring. I mean, Lord willing, I've still got some decades left of life. And so it could actually go to their kids or to their grandkids. The promised inheritance that I'm giving them is is bigger and reaches further than they can maybe comprehend right now. And so as their father, I need to prepare them to receive this inheritance. Some kids have not been prepared to receive an inheritance, and as we have witnessed in life, some families become divided over an inheritance. No, I want to prepare them to receive this inheritance from me. And in order for them to be prepared, they need to grow up and mature. They need to know my will, and they need to know my heart, and they need to be united with their fellow brothers. So last week, as we've been going through Galatians 3, last week in verses 13 and 14, we saw that that as those verses say, that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. And last week we learned that because of sin, we were cursed. And by remembering who we were, compassion and courage rise up in our hearts. We saw then that Christ became a curse for us and that it is through faith in him that God brings us out from under the curse and instead into, into Christ. We come out from under the curse into Christ and it is in Christ then that the blessing of 
Abraham comes to us. Well, what is the blessing of Abraham? The blessing of Abraham is part of this promised inheritance we receive. The blessing of Abraham includes justification by faith, that we can be declared right with God through faith in Christ. The blessing of Abraham includes the indwelling now Holy Spirit, that through faith in Christ now the Spirit of God comes and dwells inside of us. The blessing of Abraham and this this promised inheritance, it includes the promise that through Christ, all the nations of of the earth are going to be blessed as God prepares a people and a place for his people to enjoy his presence forever. And so today, we're going to be carrying on in this series in Galatians, and we're going to see once again how the promised inheritance can come to us, and we'll see how God is preparing us to receive and steward this promised inheritance well. So let's pray, and then we'll dive into the word. Father, you are a holy and a loving Father. And we praise you for your word and the life you've given to us through your word. But Father, as today is a day that many are celebrating the sanctity of human life, Lord, we do offer up prayers for our land, and for our people, and we ask, God, that we would value human life more. We ask, God, that you would forgive us for the sin of murdering so many unborn image bearers of yours. We ask that you would forgive our people and turn your wrath from us and turn our hearts towards you. We ask, God, that you would give us compassion and courage to know what part we must play in caring for the unborn and for those pregnant women who find themselves in a crisis and unsure of what to do. And so today we ask for your hand of blessing to be upon Clarity Pregnancy Centers and the the ministry and the work they're doing. We ask that, God, you would continue to provide for them what they need when they need it, that you would provide for them the resources and the finances and the supplies that they need. We ask that you would work in and through us and other churches in the area to provide the people that they need to counsel and pray and serve people there. Father, we lift up our... our, uh, families uh, that are desiring to adopt. We lift up John and Janie Spears to you, God, and we ask that you would be preparing a, a child for them that they could welcome into their home. We ask, Lord, that you would raise up others to have similar like-minded hearts that are ready and willing to adopt children into their homes. We ask, God, that you would raise up the funds needed to make that happen. And Lord, we ask that you would give us hearts for adoption here. And Father, now that as, as we look into your word, we ask that it would be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Spirit, work through your word. Make it living and active to us today. Convict and comfort where we need to be convicted and comforted. And may you do a great work, all for your glory and praise. Pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Galatians 3. Well, now, how does the promised inheritance come to us, come to Franklinites, come to Hoosiers? 
How does the promised inheritance that was given to Abraham, how does it come to us? I mean, how is it that by God's grace through faith, the blessing of Abraham comes to us and we are justified and we receive the Holy Spirit and we get to be a part of all the nations of the earth being blessed as God prepares a people and a place for his people to enjoy his presence forever. Look with me at Galatians 3, 15. He says, to give a human example, brothers, even when a man-made covenant Even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now, the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Paul gives the Galatians an example here to help them understand what he's been telling them. And he uses an example from how the ancient Greek law uh, viewed living wills or testaments. This would be something the Galatians would be very well familiar with, that once a living will, once it was signed, once it was ratified, it it could not be repealed. To the ancient Greeks, to the Galatians, once, once you write, once I write down who gets what in the inheritance, once I write it all down and sign it and it's ratified and it's sealed, according to the ancient Greeks, I could not go back in and change it. I couldn't, for example, if one of the, the kids started to get wayward and kind of be rebellious and, and they, if they joined a gang or if they started playing soccer or went down any of those dark paths, I couldn't go back in and change the will and say, well, they don't get as much now and I'm going to shift it around this way. No, once it was signed, once the will was put into place, it was now totally dependent upon the parent's promise not the child's performance. And this is really true, whether you're viewing this through an ancient Greek view or, or not of a, of a living will, because yes, we live in a society that we can go back in and change our wills and whatnot. But once someone dies, I mean, unless you've got really good lawyers that can do some fancy footwork, once someone dies, what is written in the will is what is carried out. The inheritance goes to who I promised it would go to. It is no longer dependent upon anyone's performance at that point. It is dependent upon my promise. And so how does the promised inheritance come to us? How does justification by faith, how does the Holy Spirit come to us? How does the part that we get to play in the promise that through Christ all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed as God prepares a people and a place for his people to enjoy his presence forever? Does it come to us through our performance or his promise? It comes to us through his promise, church. Abraham and his descendants did not receive the blessings of God for their great performance. Yes, there are glimpses of some good examples for us to follow in the Old Testament. There are glimpses of that. But the overall story of the Old Testament is showing us how people continue to sin and rebel against God and how even people that God counts righteous and blesses, these are not people who are so much performing well for God, but instead these are people who are trusting in God's promises. 
Remember the context of Galatians. Uh, uh, The false teachers in Galatia are trying to teach the church to go back to living underneath the law. To, yes, receive Christ, and he's great, but if you really want to be justified before God, you're going to have to perform the law of God with all its rules and regulations. But Paul is saying here, hey, the promises that God made to Abraham, these came 400 years before the law was even given. And the law doesn't change the promises that God made. You can't alter a will once it has been signed. The inheritance comes to the people of God through God's promise and not their performance. Well, how can that be? I mean, isn't that contrary to the law? Isn't that contrary to every fiber of justice that is built into us? And here's where we have to understand that it really only makes sense when we look at verse 16 and we see who the promises that were made to Abraham, Abraham, excuse me, who they were ultimately made to. Look at verse 16. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say and to offsprings. Now this is this sometimes if you're not looking at the word, you can it almost sounds like I'm giving my commentary. I'm reading the word of God directly as it's written to you. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring who is Christ. Yes, God made some wonderful promises to Abraham, but who were they ultimately made to? They were made to Christ. They were made to Jesus. These were promises that God the Father made to God the Son. When God promised Abraham a strip of land in the Middle East, in the Middle East, I mean, yes, he knew he was going to give him the TV room, but ultimately he knew he was going to give Jesus the whole house. And this is what Psalm 2, a messianic psalm, is talking about, which we'll have up on the screen as we see this inheritance that is going to go to uh, Jesus. And uh, there we go. Psalm 2, I will tell of the decree, the Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you, ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage or your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. These were promises that God the Father made to God the Son and therefore if you want to receive the promised inheritance from the Father, you have to be united to the son. Just like if I leave an inheritance for my boys, their future wives will be beneficiaries as well. God calls the church the bride of Christ. He's made promises to his son, and when we through faith become united to him, the promises and the inheritance come to us. You see, church, there are many people in the world who claim Abraham as their father and they will sadly never receive the promises of God. Abraham and Sarah, when they became impatient with the promise that God made to them uh, to give them a son and to make them into a great nation, when they were old and they were without child, they got a little impatient, as we probably all would have been, and Sarah took things into her own hands, and and she gave her servant Hagar to Abraham, and she had a son, and they named him Ishmael, father of the Arab people and father of many Muslim people today who claim Abraham as their father. 
However, the Jewish people say, no, Abraham is our father because the blessings and the promises of God come through Isaac and not Ishmael. But God says the real sons of Abraham are those whose faith is in Jesus because Jesus was the offspring that the promises were made to. Now, don't miss what's happening here. We literally have the solution to peace in the Middle East, all right? This means that Arab people need Jesus, and that Jewish people need Jesus, and that Muslim people need Jesus, and that Hoosier people need Jesus. And this means that all people need Jesus. God the Father has blessed God the Son and all blessings, all promises, and the great inheritance of justification by faith and the indwelling Holy Spirit and the promise that through Christ all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed as God prepares a people and a place for his people to enjoy his presence forever. This all comes through being united to Jesus Christ because he is the one who the promises were ultimately made to. This is how the inheritance comes to us. It is not dependent upon our performance, but instead through believing in God's promises. And God promised the inheritance to his son, and through faith, we can be united to him. And I mean, what peace this should bring us, shouldn't it? What rest this should give us. I mean, everyone just take a deep breath in and out. Your justification, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in you, the promise that through Christ all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed, that is not dependent upon your religious performance this past week. It's not. And so because of that, today... We don't have to play church and pretend. We don't have to perform and pretend in front of one another. We can be honest. We can be open. We can be repentant and humble. And we can come in here this morning and we can rest. And we can experience peace today as we worship that this promised inheritance we receive, it is completely dependent upon the promise of God, and God keeps his promises. So this is how the inheritance comes to us, comes through a promise, it comes through faith in Christ, being united to him. But how is God now preparing us to receive and steward this promised inheritance. I mean, so, some of it we've already gotten, right? We've got the indwelling Holy Spirit. How can, is God preparing us to steward that well? And here's where understanding the purpose of the law will help to show us how God is preparing us. So let's keep reading in Galatians 3, verse 19. He says, Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions. The law that came from God through Moses to his people, the, the Ten Commandments on Sinai and the rest of the moral, civil, and ceremonial law that came, it was given to show us just how big of a problem we had with sin. 
It was given to restrain and to reveal the sin that exists in the human heart. The law is like an MRI machine. It doesn't actually do anything to bring about a cure. It simply diagnoses the problem we had with sin. The law shows us just how holy God is and just how sinful we are. Verse 19, why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring, Jesus, should come to whom the promise had been made, and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now, an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Admittedly, all commentators think 19 and 20 are a bit confusing, so everyone can just take another deep breath if 19 and 20 didn't immediately click for you. But I believe the best way to understand 19 and 20 and what is being taught here is that the law was given from God, accompanied with a heavenly host at Sinai, through Moses, who was the mediator, to the people. The law came through a mediator because a mediator is needed to mediate between a holy God and a sinful people. That's the law. But the promise of God was given really from the Father, ultimately to the Son, and no mediator was needed because God is one. We worship one God who has eternally existed as Father, Son, and Spirit. Paul is telling the Galatians not to elevate the law of God over the promise of God. The law, has to be, the law had to be given through a mediator. The promise was made directly from the Father to the Son. So don't elevate the law over the promise. Galatians and Franklin City Church, don't elevate the law over the promise. And we say okay to that, but does that mean we should set the law against the promise? Let them duke it out and just see who wins. Are they contrary to one another? Look at verse 21. You guys have read ahead of you. You're asking all the right questions. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not, for if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. You see, we should not put the law of God over the promise of God. We should not set the law of God against the promise of God because God is actually using the law to accomplish the promise. Let me say that again. God is using the law to accomplish the promise. If all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed in Christ, then people are going to have to come to Christ, and the law leads people to Christ. It reveals their sin and shows them their need of a Savior. And not only does the law lead people to Christ, but the law was the people of God's guardian until Christ came. Well, what's a guardian? Some some translations have schoolmaster there. I think guardian is a bit better of a translation as it paints the whole picture of what Paul is saying. In the ancient world, guardians were hired by wealthy families or they were slaves of wealthy families who were appointed to serve as the protector of a child. They were appointed to serve as the main disciplinarian of the child. 
as well as they were uh, put in charge of getting their child either to schoolmasters or teachers, making sure they were learning and getting educated. And so envision a guardian being assigned to a child to protect, to discipline, and to teach as they are maturing and growing up. That's what Paul compares the law to, a guardian until Christ came. Now, if we can pause there in Galatians for a moment, I think this would be helpful to to zoom out a little bit more big picture for just a second and understand three major storylines of the Bible. I was a Christian for many years before I heard these three major storylines, but ever since I've heard these three major storylines, so much more of the Bible has just made sense to me. It's just clicked a little bit better. And so the three major storylines of the Bible are salvation from sin, they are holy war, and they are maturing from infancy to adulthood. Now, salvation from sin is the storyline we are probably all most familiar with, uh, and rightfully so. It directly relates to us. It's the most important one to us for our individual lives. It's understanding how humanity is saved from sin through faith in Jesus Christ is of the utmost importance. And while almost every story in the Bible can play a part in the salvation from sin storyline, that storyline does not fully explain every story in the Bible. Like, how do we make full sense of Joshua leading the people of God into the promised land and wiping out entire people groups? Have you ever struggled with that? That's a tough one to wrestle with at times. And this is where understanding the multiple storylines of the Bible is helpful because there's more that is going on in the universe than just humanity being saved from sin. Salvation from sin is not the only storyline of the Bible or throughout history. There's also the storyline of a holy war that has been playing out in both the seen and the unseen realms that involves God and his heavenly hosts versus the false gods, the principalities and powers who've left their positions to rebel against the one true God. And so in that story from the Israelites being rescued from Egypt, yes, it's a great story of the people of God coming out from slavery, but in that story we also see God taking on the false gods of Egypt and defeating them and shaming them and putting them under submission to him. We also see then God go into Canaan and take on the false gods of the Canaanites, and we see him defeat them and conquer them. And so you have to understand there's more than meets our eye. There's, there's a spiritual war that's being fought that we oftentimes are unaware of. And so some stories in the Bible you need to understand are playing a part in the, the holy war of God that much is being taken place in the unseen realm, but some in the seen realm. But then one of the major storylines of the Bible, the third one, is that of maturity, of humanity maturing from infancy into adulthood. And think of it this way. Think of Adam and Eve as being like humanity in its infancy. I mean, everything was provided for them. They were naked and it was okay. (laughs) And they had one rule. I mean... Isn't that how infants are? Everything is provided for them. Clothes or no clothes, it's, it's probably okay. And just one rule, just don't die. Just don't go to the electrical outlets. Don't do anything that would cause you to die. 
This was Adam and Eve. Everything was provided for them. They were naked and they were unashamed and they had one rule, just don't die. Don't eat from that one tree where you will die. And many people, including myself, believed that, that God was actually going to allow them to eat of that tree at some point, but they weren't ready for it yet. They needed to mature and they needed to grow up, but they reached for it too soon. And as a result, they had to grow up real fast. And they had to figure out the clothing situation. And then we see in the Bible and throughout history that humanity really then struggled to mature. And so eventually God gives humanity the law, sort of like you do with young children, where now there's lots of rules. You don't just have one rule. Now there's lots of rules. Don't touch this. Don't say that. Chew with your mouth closed. Take smaller bites. Don't lie, don't steal, don't hit others, no wrestling in the bathroom. I mean, don't you just marvel at some of the rules you actually have to say. You never envisioned you would actually have to say this rule until it happens. And then you're like, okay, we need to make a rule about that then too. The law was a part of the growing up process of humanity. God had to spell everything out for his people. Worship this way. Don't worship that way. Worship on this day. Don't worship on this. This is what you can eat. This is what you can wear. This is who you can marry. This is who you can't marry. You can't marry close relatives anymore. This is in the law. These are conversations you actually have with young children, who you can marry, who in the family is too close to marry. And then humanity matures from young children to older children. And older children, they know the laws but they still don't understand the heart behind the laws. For example, when I was a kid, my parents had a rule for Betsy and me on Saturdays that we were not to wake them up in the morning unless there was blood. <laughs> this was the rule, okay? Saturday mornings, you do not wake them up unless there is blood somewhere. And so one Saturday morning in the lower level of our tri-level house, it flooded enough water that Betsy and I could splash around in and stand in, and Betsy thought she was being responsible, and she put us in some rain boots and turned on the television, and we splashed and laughed and frolicked around in the water with electronics, trying to avoid electrocution. And mom and dad come out, you know, probably around lunchtime, I don't know, uh, no, I don't know. I'm, I'm elaborating the story now. They, they come out horrified and ask why we didn't wake them up. And Betsy said, well, there was no blood. <laughs> and she's the oldest child. She is a rule follower. No blood. We're not waking them up. Don't do it, Grant. Don't go in there. She followed the rule to the T, but she had missed the heart behind the rule. She'd missed the spirit behind the rule. The heart of the rule was just, don't wake mom and dad up for something, some small issue or argument, because they are human beings, and they need rest too, and they'll be better parents for you if you have at least one day they can sleep a good amount of sleep. But when the house floods, even if there's no blood, you should wake them up for your care and your own protection. We didn't understand. We needed to mature. And then we get to the people that lived in the time of Jesus. And the Pharisees, they think of them sort of like as the, the teenagers 
who they, they know all the rules and laws, and they can see all the shortcomings from their parents and siblings who don't keep all the rules and the laws. They have trouble seeing it in themselves, but they miss the heart of God. They miss the heart behind all of it and, and why the law was even given in the first place. These were the religious leaders now of Jesus' day. And in the storyline of the Bible, Jesus really is the first adult who shows up on the scene. He really is. He's the first one who shows up who knows God's will and who knows God's heart. This is what it looks like to grow up into maturity. It is to know God's will and it is to know God's heart. Jesus came and he didn't come out, he didn't come to throw out the law, but to help us to see how the law was given to prepare us to receive and steward the promise. If God had has promised a people and a place for his people to enjoy his presence forever, then we better learn and grow in learning how to love God and how to love others. And Jesus said, This is the summary of the law. And Jesus came, yes, to save us from sin. That's one storyline. Jesus came, yes, to defeat Satan and all rebellious powers. That's a second storyline. But he also came so that humanity would grow up in him. That the law of God would no longer be a guardian to us. That the law of God would not be something that we are under. But instead, the law of God would be something that's inside of us that the law would be written on our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit, that we would have God's will, but we would also have God's spirit. We would know God's will, and we would have God's heart, that we would be able to discern good from evil and know how to love God and love others through all the messiness and the gray areas of life. As we are maturing in Christ, we will know more of the will of God, more of the heart of God, we'll have more wisdom, be able to discern good from evil, and be able to love God and love others more. Won't my boys be better prepared to receive and steward their inheritance when they know my will and they know my heart? These are the families that don't fall apart in inheritance struggles when they know the heart and the will of the parent who put the inheritance in place and when they're unified together, not divided. When they know, when my boys know that everything I give them, I want them to use to love God and to love others. You see, God is preparing us to receive the inheritance by maturing us in Christ and the law plays an important part in that process. The law of God is still important for us today, but it's no longer our guardian. In it, we do still see the will of God, and through the Spirit, we can discern the heart of God. And looking to Christ, we can mature and become more like him, able to discern between good from evil with a growing and maturing ability to love God and love others more according to the will of God in the power of the Spirit of God. And so my question for you is, are you maturing in Christ, church? Are you maturing in Christ? This is God's will for you, that you would grow up in Christ, that you would be ready to receive and steward all that God gives you in order to love God and to love others. Now, the other way that God is preparing us for the promised inheritance 
is by uniting us, not dividing us. Look back at verse 25, Galatians 3, 25. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. Now, important to note that this is not Paul's way of trying to get rid of gender. He's making a more significant point, and that is that in Christ, men, women, and children are all called sons of God. Now, why does he call everyone sons of God? Two reasons. First is, the Jews in the first century considered only themselves the sons of God. And so Paul's writing to a Galatian church made up of Jews and Gentiles, and he's saying, no, in Christ, Jews and Gentiles, you are all sons of God. Second reason he calls them all all believers sons of God is that in the ancient world, daughters did not receive an inheritance. It was only sons who received the inheritance. And in a passage where he's talking about a promised inheritance, he wants to make sure that men and women realize that in Christ, they have received sonship in the sense that they all have received the promised inheritance. Look at verse 27. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Paul's point here is to say that there is, Paul's point is not to say, let me say that. Paul's point is not to say that there is no longer any distinction between Jew or Greek, slave or free, male and female. No, in other passages of Scripture, he gives clear instructions for men as to their God-given role. And in other passages, he gives women clear instructions as to their God-given role. In other passages, he specifically addresses Jews, and he specifically addresses Gentiles. He's not saying that there shouldn't be any distinction between the roles of men and women. What he's saying is that these shouldn't be categories that cause division amongst us. As one matures in Christ, as one is more and more prepared to receive and steward the promised inheritance, they must see that only Christ can bring unity from what often divides us. And they must seek unity where it can be experienced in Christ and fight against unnecessary divisions. You see, here's where we get the idea the idea of maturity wrong in in the churches that many of us grew up in or have been a part of. We wrongly think of Christian maturity or we wrongly think of being mature in Christ as as more intellectual or theological. We think of the mature ones as, as, as being the ones who've read the most theology books or the ones who've had the most seminary credits or the ones who've listened to the, the most podcasts or the, the most sermons. But listen, that's not true maturity. If you don't really love God and you don't really love others and you divide from your brothers and sisters more than you unite with your brothers and sisters, that's not true maturity. God does want us to learn and to train our minds, but true maturity is when you can take what you've learned about the will of God alongside with knowing the heart of God and you can wisely love God and others more and more. 
true maturity looks like when you can take what you've learned about the will of God and what you know about the heart of God and you can seek reconciliation and unity with others more and more. The person and the people who are quick to divide and distance themselves from other believers are immature believers. And what's interesting about these three categories that Paul uses here is that aren't these the three categories that many people in the world try to stir up to cause conflict and division over? I mean, in our sin and immaturity, different ethnicities can be stirred up to quarrel and hate and resent one another. In sin and immaturity, can't different socioeconomic classes classes quarrel, hate, and resent one another? In sin and immaturity, can't men and women quarrel, hate, and resent one another? And God says the solution to these divisions is Jesus. The solution is not for one to conquer the other or for one to erase the other or for one to become the other. The solution to these divisions is unity in Jesus. It's through faith in Christ. It's through all becoming sons of God. And if you've become sons of God, then you have all become one. All ethnicities, all socioeconomic classes, men and women are all of equal value, dignity, and worth. And in Christ, they have all become one. Church, we will be better prepared to receive and steward the promised inheritance we are receiving when we become more and more united with one another. And this can only happen when we keep Christ at the center of everything. Because, church, it is through trusting Christ that the promised inheritance has come to you. This, remember the beginning of the sermon. This is how the inheritance comes to us. This is how justifi- justification by faith comes to us. This is how the indwelling of the Holy Spirit comes to us. This is how being a part of the promise that through Christ all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed as God prepares a people and a place for his people to enjoy his presence forever. This is coming to us through faith in Christ. It is not based upon your performance, but only upon the promise that the Father has made to the Son. And so as I close this morning, one question I want to ask is just, are you resting in that promise this morning? Are you resting in that promise this morning? Not in your performance, not in how many quiet times you had this last week, not in how many books you've read this past year, not in how many times you've, you've served the church or others this past week, but are you resting in the promise of God this morning? Can you be humble to stop pretending and performing and rest today? Not trusting in your performance, but trusting in God's promise. And then as we go out from this place, I want, to ask, I want you to ask yourself these, this question, these questions. How is God preparing you to better receive and steward these promises? How is God preparing you? Sometimes it's through hardships. Sometimes it's through illness. Sometimes it's through persecution. Sometimes it's through great times of blessing and abundance. And, but how is God preparing you to better receive and steward these promises? How are you maturing in Christ? Are you learning the will of God 
alongside knowing the heart of God? How can you trust God more to help you love him more and love others more and pursue unity with one another? Where have you in your sin and immaturity divided or caused divisions in this church or in your home or in your workplace? Trust God and go pursue reconciliation and unity with your brothers and sisters today. Church, God is preparing a people. God is preparing a place for his people to forever enjoy his presence. And one day, yes, that's the new heavens and the new, the new earth, but even now we, we get to live and be a part of the kingdom that is already here and not yet fully realized. And so church, go trust God and go take part in his promise today. Let's pray.